grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. The voice of the Holy One thunders over the waters, is humming in Jesus, and is whispered by the Spirit. Let us pray that we might hear God's voice. Loving God, by your Holy Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us how to follow Jesus, our Savior and friend. Amen. Amen. <laughs> A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Wasn't it announced to you from the beginning? Haven't you understood since the earth was founded? God inhabits the earth's horizon. Its inhabitants are like locusts, stretched out the skies like a curtain and spreads it out like a tent for dwelling. God makes dignitaries useless and the earth's judges into nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely is their shoot rooted in the earth when God breathes on them and they dry up. The windstorm carries them off like straw. So to whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One. Look up at the sky and consider, who created these? The one who brings out their attendants one by one, summoning each of them by name. Because of God's great strength and mighty power, no one is missing. Why do you say, Jacob, and declare, Israel, my way is hidden from the Holy One. My God ignores my predicament. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Holy One is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. The Holy One doesn't grow weary or tired. God's understanding is beyond human reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Youths will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble, but those who hope in the Holy One will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. And now a reading from the Gospel of Mark by Megan. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus, James, and John went home with Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed sick with a fever. And they told Jesus about her at once. He went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. And the fever left her, and she served them. 
That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who worship demon possessed. The whole town gathered near the door. Jesus held many who were sick of all kinds of diseases, and they threw out many demons. But he didn't let the demons speak because they recognized him. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a empty place where he could go where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those who um, with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's, let's head to other, the other direction, to the nearby villages, so I can there too. That's why I've come. Jesus traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Of all the things that could have caused Ashley Mercia to come undone, she did not expect it to be tacos. Ashley had mostly kept it together for the past 11 months. She'd been holding things down at her job, making sure her two children were logged in for virtual school and keeping her family clothed, fed, and virus-free. Everything was fine until last month. Tuesday was coming up, Taco Tuesday her kids' favorite meal of the week. Easy, predictable Taco Tuesday. But then Ashley realized she couldn't stomach the idea of eating another taco. And what made her even more nauseous was that in this ostensibly new year, Sameness was all there was in sight. Ashley's not alone. In the past couple of weeks, many of us have been slammed with major pandemic fatigue. We are burned out. We expect ourselves to be productive at work or to parent or often both as though we haven't been living through a waking nightmare. Even though the vaccines are bringing some much needed hope, for many people, the feeling of exhaustion and hopelessness, all those feelings are just swallowing up any other emotions. This isn't surprising to people who study mental health, the switch on our fight or flight system has been left on. Cortisol has flooded our bloodstream. It's like a marathon, except marathoners can push through a point of exhaustion because they know the finish line is ahead. 
we don't know where our finish line is. Like us, the exiled Judean community in Babylon was uncertain about the future. When will this exile be over? Will we ever get to go home, they wondered. To them and to us, the prophet Isaiah announces good news. God's understanding is beyond human reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Youths will become tired and weary. Young men will certainly stumble, but those who hope in the Holy One will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. Crack open your Bibles and you'll find these beautiful words in the same chapter that begins, comfort, comfort my people. During Advent, we sung that message of comfort, anticipating the arrival of God's future and the Savior who would lead us. Now, almost a year after an airborne virus turned the world upside down, I find myself standing outside the doors of Simon and Andrew's family compound, praying that the Holy One would renew my strength. Today's reading from Mark's gospel that we heard from Megan picks up the story from last week. After Jesus healed a man in the synagogue, word spread fast. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? A holy man is in town. He commands demons and they obey him. And so once the sun has set, once households have said Havdalah and given thanks for the gift of Sabbath, people make their way to where the teacher is staying. Imagine Andrew looking out the window and glimpsing the crowd. He jerks back with surprise. Simon Peter goes to see what has startled his brother and squawks. Jesus, the entire town is outside. There are all of these sick people on stretchers, and it looks like there are more demon-possessed people rocking back and forth and talking to themselves. Jesus, what are we going to do? What else would Jesus do but go to the people and heal their sorrow. After all, that's what he did in the synagogue and what he did in the very house where he's staying. Jesus walked to the crowd gathered at the gates just as calmly as he approached Simon's mother-in-law, confined to her bed. Miriam, like the matriarch of old, 
was a sharp woman, but the burn of fever made her delirious. Perhaps as Jesus approached her, she saw her husband, gone so many years, arriving now to accompany her from this life to the next. Or perhaps she recognized her son-in-law's friend, such a gentle man, reaching out to comfort her. Either way, Jesus took Miriam by the hand and raised her up. Raised her up. We'll hear that verb again in Mark's gospel at the mouth of an empty tomb. A young man dressed in white will tell three of Jesus's followers, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. The resurrection is not a one-off. In Jesus, God is resurrecting dead hopes and dying spirits, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. Miriam experienced resurrection. The fever left her. And then the gospel says she served them. Food, most people assume, since it wouldn't be surprising for Miriam to show hospitality, given that it was so important to their culture. But the food or drink that may have followed isn't the point. The point is that Miriam takes on another verb associated with Jesus. The human one, he will later say, came not to be served, but to serve. In Jesus' eyes, there is no distinction between serving at a table and serving through healing and serving through proclaiming God's kingdom. They are all service. They are all ministry. They are all in the language of the Bible, diakonia. Simon's mother-in-law gets it immediately. As for Simon himself, it will take a little longer. The next day, Simon and the other disciples are going to spend half the morning searching high and low for Jesus. Jesus, come on. Everyone's looking for you. They're anxious to give the crowd what they want, eager to meet expectations. Jesus has another idea. Let's head in the other direction. They're in good hands, after all. Over the last month and a half, we have reflected on the promises of God, promises God makes to us in baptism to make us a new creation in Christ, to wash us in the spirit and lead us to freedom, 
to embrace us wherever we go and to make us agents of healing. Today, we claim God's promise to lift us up, to resurrect us so that we might make a difference to this beloved and beleaguered world. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Romans. We were buried together with Christ, baptized into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. Baptism into Christ's death means that we are in the thick of it. We won't deny the grief and exhaustion of this worldwide pandemic or any other situation where people suffer senselessly. Standing at the font, we stand with all of the people crowding at Simon and Andrew's door. Like them, we know our need for healing. Baptized into Christ's resurrection means that God will renew our strength, even if it's only bit by tiny bit. Meanwhile, we'll let others serve us, minister to us, until we are strong enough like Miriam to reach out to minister to our neighbors. For all its forms, all ministry is equal in God's eyes, whether it's reading the scriptures or preaching them, or naming aloud the world's need, or praying later on. We serve together, however we serve, for the well-being of the whole world. And perhaps, perhaps you'll discover a new way to serve others this week or this year. Consider Miriam, Simon's mother-in-law, what do you think happened when more people showed up at her house that morning? Picture the look on her face, the compassion etched into her wrinkles and resting in her eyes. Some of these people look ready to wait for Jesus all day if they have to. So she breathes in and breathes out, and then goes inside to enlist her grandchildren in making bread and frying fish. After all, these sick folks will need something to eat while they wait. And as the hours stretch on, and Jesus and his band of fisher folk disciples are still missing, what then? I imagine Miriam and other family members boiling herbs for tea, finding blankets to share, 
organizing a rotation of people to sit with the demon possessed, to help them feel seen and heard and loved. I can see Simon and Andrew and the gang coming back a couple weeks later, gawking at the makeshift clinic that their home has become. And I can see Jesus smiling, hear his laughter ringing out as refreshing as baptismal waters. In these waters, immersed in God's promises, there is grace that will transform the universe. For such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, the source of our calling, the spirit of power, the Savior of the world. Amen.